This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Hey, listeners, this is Kelly uh, in the studio with two of my favorite male counselors today. That's honorable. <laughs> yes, Matt DeHogue and Samuel Jones. Samuel, it's good to see you. Good we to haven't see you been, too, Kelly. We haven't been in the studio in a little bit. Uh, but Matt, thank you. You are a yeah. fan favorite. This is your third, third time being on the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Kelly. It's so fun hanging with you guys. And, you know, after the first two, I was like, are they going to, is there a third one for me? And I think that there is. Look, we're doing it. <laughs> Trifecta. <laughs> Trifecta. So Matt, let, you, you've shared with our listeners before a little bit about who you are, but let's review that. Yeah. Um, who are you? What do you do for work? Who's your family? Yeah. And then the final thing I want you to share is uh, you have a unique passion Mm -hmm. that you've shared with me quite a bit. And uh, it's kind of cool. And I want you to share it with our listeners. It's great. Yeah. So my name's Matt and my wife's name's Molly. And we have three daughters, Kobe, Lucy, and Mina. And um, they're all pretty young uh, in elementary school. And we live in Forest Hills and we've been there doing ministry for a long time. I've been on Young Life staff since I graduated Calvin about uh, 17 years ago. That makes me feel old, but, uh, and then, so I'm bivocational. I, I, I'm on Young Life staff supervising and supporting what's going on in Kent County with Young Life, which is nonprofit ministry that, um, introduces adolescents to Christ and helps them grow in their faith and creates belonging for adolescents. And then I'm also a therapist, licensed therapist. Um, I've been doing private practice for about 10 years and focus on uh, walking with adolescents, men, and couples. So, yeah. And then my passion, what Kelly was referring to, right before COVID hit, or kind of right as COVID was hitting, um, I was a gym guy. I was like going to MVP, and uh, and then that shut down. And one of my buddies was like, "You should be a mountain biker. You should Ooh. you should do this." And so my first time mountain biking, I went on the trail and. Um, I got about two miles and I was out of breath and I'm like, my buddy Gabe, I'm like, Gabe, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> and, but he kept inviting me out and I loved the, uh, being in the woods with friends. There's a group of six of us that started riding every Thursday night. We put our kids to bed and then uh, put our lights on our bikes and go into the woods and ride and, um, share life and, uh, some adventure and, obviously get some exercise, which is important in midlife. Um, and then it escalated. We, we are kind of crazy. So we did a fat bike race, the snow angel, uh, which is a great race, um, up in, uh, Canadian lakes two years ago, it was six miles. And then a couple guys said, Hey, let's sign up for the hardest mountain bike race in the Midwest. Mm. <laughs> let's do it. Which is called the Margie Gessick. And um, we didn't know what we didn't know, which was good at that time, because it really is probably the hardest, it is the hardest mountain bike race in the Midwest. And it's in the UP in Marquette, and it's run by 906 Adventures, which is a 
fantastic nonprofit organization that um, helps kids get on bikes and uh, does so much for kids in the UP and now kind of all over the Midwest to, to um, empower kids and help them do hard things. And so the Margie Gessick race we did, there's a, there's a 50 mile and they kind of mess with you. They call it 50, but it's really 67 miles, which you find out like a couple of days before you do it. Oh, that's funny. And then a couple, uh, and so we did that. Um, and then the next year there was a hundred and hundred mile race. It was really 107 miles. And so we did that. And so all year, uh, you're kind of scared. You're like, am I going to be able to do this? Sure. And so you're training and um, getting up early, riding, uh, but really so much of it's drive, the driving force for me has been hanging out with friends and having guys that were total amateurs. We have no business doing big races like this, but we have a lot of fun and we're pretty determined. So um, we all completed this 107 mile race last fall that took about, for some it took, one guy took uh, 16 hours. For me, it took 22 hours wow. on a bike. Um, so That's impressive, man. So yeah, no, it's yeah. been a great thing. And uh, yeah, my girls cheer me on and Molly sees sees it as a good thing for me, which is great. So I have her blessing to be gone, <laughs> but usually I wake up early and I like to bike. And so that's been a huge gift for me to do with friends in this season of life. On average, how often, I mean, how much do you, or how many miles do you bike uh, a day? Yeah. Um, I, I think about it. I, I try to weekly, I try to get in between six and eight hours on a bike. Okay. And then um, I hope this year to bike between 25 and 3000 miles in the year, which some guys like my father-in-law, Dan, if you're listening to this, um, you are a beast. My father-in-law who's 61 will bike around 5,000 miles this year. So I'm chasing him. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Oh, so man, I, I, uh, as I think about your health journey um, in that space, uh, there's so much uh, there that's probably incredibly empowering for other people to hear, you know, just learning about your own life, um, learning about how you're navigating that. You know, I'm a Pelotoner. Oh so, yeah, you know, come on. I get on Peloton and I'll get my four miles in um, and be done um, compared to you, <laughs> which you're doing a ton. Um, um, but that's, that's, man, that's amazing. And that's incredibly important to keep yourself up, especially as a therapist and doing all the things you're mm-hmm. doing with young life and, and such. Um, but for the topic of the day, mm-hmm. um, transition us a little bit uh, with this space. Matt, um, you're talking about health, but there's also this idea of unhealth in relationships. Mm-hmm. And when we're looking at, you know, the the daily individuals who are coming to therapy, you know, getting support for their marriages and relationships, um, we always talk about the big three, you know, money, sex, communication. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just stop with, okay, if I can get those three things right, I'm good. But there's so much more happening in the context of a relationship. And so I just, I guess I just want to ask, you know, as we get going with this topic, you know, what are some forms of um, unhealthy relationship dynamics that you're seeing um, in your kind of practice and in your aspect of navigating relationships? Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's different models that I use when I, I, I look, I think in pictures and I think a lot of couples, it's helpful if you give them a picture and you say, um, so I have a whiteboard in my office and the model that. I've felt so much traction with is this model called the drama triangle. Hmm. And, um, 
You know, for, for a long time, since going to Calvin and being a sociology minor and uh, doing nonprofit work as a leader, I've just been fascinated by social interaction. And so this drama triangle was developed in the 1960s by this guy named Stephen Cartman. And um, he really said, he, he was like, this model's helpful to help people understand how they get into conflict and drama. Mm. Um in relationship patterns. So I've seen that where like, uh, so this drama triangle that we're going to talk about today really has three main seats of it um, where, you know, people can be, it's because it's in relationships, somebody usually starts to feel like a victim in some way. There's some victimhood, something happened that they say, oh, I don't have any options right now, right? Um, And then they start to see the world as people that are persecutors or should be a rescuer to them. So one, Matt, so one role is the victim. One role, one one seat. I like to say seat because uh, it's like almost every person that enters the drama triangle will eventually sit in all the seats mm-hmm. of the drama triangle. They'll move. It's like musical chairs. And they'll also invite others to play roles, even though they, they may not consciously know they're playing roles, but they're going to invite others in their life mm. that will play either a rescuer role or a persecutor role. And they kind of hold that space in their head, ideally, or kind of as a caricature of that person that's playing that space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- this also shows up, uh, you know, in, in our culture as well, where there's, uh, when people under a lot of stress or unhealthy, they start to see the world as there's really good people and really bad people. Mm-hmm. Right. And they kind of start to see themselves as the really good people should be helping me out. And I really am against all these bad people. Right. So what are, uh, the two other seats then? Yeah. So, um, the two other seats is it's called the punisher or persecutor. And, uh, it's, it's a seat that the person in the seat is saying it's all your fault. So there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of blaming. There's a lot of control. Um, there's a lot of superiority and sometimes, you know, there's when the victim is in a seat, which is helpless, no choices, feeling stuck. Um, they will put someone in the punisher role and the, someone will be invited into that to be like, um, to be the person that's kind of holding the victim or the victim thinks this person's out to get me and is holding me in this victim seat. And so at the same time, this other seat, the rescuer, they're looking for someone to help them. They're looking for someone to take away the pain, to enable them. And there's some people naturally, and most of, you know, most of us have a role we like to play based on our childhood experiences. So there's some people that naturally, and this shows up in ministry a lot. We have a lot of people doing ministry and even as therapists that naturally want to be a rescuer. So they'll see a victim and they'll say, let me help you. Let me bail you out. Let me Mm -hmm. do anything I can to alleviate your pain, right? But the difference between true like helping is they don't, they don't empower them. Um, they actually say, you can't do this without me, mm. right? Dependence. Yeah, they keep the victim dependent. Mm. So on that note, 
one of the things I was thinking about as counselors, uh, we're kind of, for our listeners, we're letting you a little bit into the secret sauce here. Uh, and that is as counselors, we have like, we have things that we share with clients that are a little bit of our go-tos. And the reason why they're our go-tos is that when we share different knowledge or information or biblical wisdom, we can literally see people light up. Yeah. Right. And that they get it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a big one for me, Matt, and you, uh, last year you came in and we had a conversation about this. And the big one was, for me, was personality differences and using the DISC personality assessment. So Mm -hmm. I use that quite a bit with people. And obviously... Uh, the drama triangle, and by the way, I really we're not going to literally name this <laughs> the, the, the episode, but uh, I asked Matt, and he jokingly said, "Hey, let's call the uh, episode Save the Drama for Your Mama.'" <laughs> yes, um, we're not going to call it that, but let me think about it. Anyway, uh, we have these go-tos, and obviously, the drama triangle for you has been a go-to. It's been a go-to. Yeah. So talk, Mm. share with our listeners, like, A, maybe like, why is this topic important to you and how have you seen people light up? Yeah. You know, I would say specifically with the drama triangle, when people feel really stuck as a leader in young life. So I've seen this with staff people where you're talking with them and they literally say, I don't, I don't have any options. I'm Mm. stuck, you know, and and so helping them, helping them see options that are the opposite of a victim is a creator, mm. right? And um, so I would say in young life as leaders, I've seen people light up and they start to understand their own patterns of drama and saying, oh man, I am, I am living into some victimhood, which, you know, I want to make a clarification. We use the word victim. These are not like true victims. These are people that have experienced something in life that's making them feel like a victim, right? And so, um, you know, for example, a leader might say, oh man, I didn't get this, I got passed up for this promotion or uh, these, I got the the worst camp week ever for Young Life Camp or something. And the question then to a victim is, okay, okay, what are, what are, what are you feeling right now? How do you move how do you move out of the feeling of victimhood? So identifying true emotions and also what's a way you might need to grow and change in this situation to help you start to see more options, right? Because we can't control a lot that happens to us in life, but we can control our response, right? Which is huge, a huge uh, kind of foundational thought in counseling is saying, okay, someone comes to counseling and they've gone through something and they're starting to think about, okay, what's going to be my response? Where do I go from here? So I've, I, Kelly, I've, I've seen it um, when people start to understand the way they're, they're feeling and seeing themselves as a victim and the way that they start to, they start to move through the triangle, like where they then, if they are a victim, start to think, oh, you know, I'm going to st- I feel like a persecutor and persecutors can actually start to beat themselves up or lash out on others. So sometimes Mm -hmm. victims will move there. Um, In young life, I see people that are rescuers that have always bailed somebody out 
and then actually start to feel like a victim because they say, who's really taking care of me? Mm -hmm. I've been the one that's always taking care of everybody, right? You see this in family systems a lot with like a matriarch whose kids graduate and then they start to make Christmas decisions that are different than going back to mom's house. Mm -hmm. And mom says, I've always been there for my kids. Why, why are they making the decision not to be there for me Mm. and start to feel like a victim? Mm. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Matt, it also sounds like you have in this some personal experience. Uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I, I had, yeah. So early on, I, this is when I was 21. Um, I, I kind of had my whole life set out. I'm like, I'm getting married. Uh, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm probably going to move to the Pacific Northwest. Like, and then I get a call from my fiance at the time. And she says, Hey Matt, um, I cheated on you. Oh boy. I was unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And the whole, my whole world kind of came crashing down. And, um, and I started to feel like, why did this happen to me? And felt really stuck and was really felt, felt stuck and through counseling got unstuck, but kind of, kind of felt like a victim. Um, and had a couple years there that I was looking for people to help me out and didn't really have a lot of agency and was also kind of frustrated at this persecution. Like, ah, I thought I was going to get married, you know? And, um, so I think out of that and out of me seeing that there's, there is agency and actually God's going to use this in my life, um, through kind of passion for premarital counseling and passion Mm -hmm. for helping people and unhealthy getting unstuck. I mean, I think that I felt that. And so having a true passion for that, has helped drive me into um, walking with couples and uh, walking with leaders to say, what options do you have? What could it look like if you thought about this a little differently and, and really draw the drama triangle and say, how is this happening in your life? Yeah. Um, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, when you think about these three seats, as you call them, you know, and people playing some level of it at any aspect of their life, you see the interactions in those societal and cultural settings um, across our world as I can kind of visualize that. Um, but being here, you know, together, you know, for a lot of our couples who are listening and trying to say, yeah. OK, you know, I can see myself taking that seat. I guess how does this kind of dynamic play out in that kind of dyadic situation with yeah. uh, two people in marriage? Yeah. So I, I just had a couple. This was a few weeks ago. I'll share this example. Um they, it was a, we had a big snowstorm, right? I mean, we got a bunch of snow in Grand Rapids and uh, the husband was out of town for like, I think a week. The wife works full time, a demanding job. And also they have a 14 month old daughter. Mm. And so the husband's coming home. He's excited to have some relief from this work trip to relax at home. You know, he's feeling pretty tired. And the wife is thinking, my husband's coming home. I'm so excited to see him and I need help, help with our daughter. And we just completed this home renovation and we can finally just kind of be together. And my husband can kind of show up, you know, he's been gone. And so the husband uh, drives up the driveway and notices that the driveway was not um, shoveled Mm. to his liking. And 
So he gets home, he, you know, his wife walks out the garage and is excited to see him. And he's already thinking, why didn't she shovel the driveway? That means I have to now shovel the driveway and I'm tired. I just on this long flight and he gets out of the car and his wife looks at him and she's super tired too. And the first thing he says is, Hey, what, why didn't you shovel the driveway? Right. What happened? And she is like in shock. She's like, what, what do you mean? I've had my, I've, I've been trying to hold the house together with my daughter and uh, with our daughter. And um, you're just coming home. And the first thing you say is this, <laughs> like, I can't believe it. And then she goes in the house, slams the door. He gets the shovel and starts shoveling the driveway. And they're in the drama triangle, right? They both actually are feeling like victims. The husband's like, I can't believe I got home from this work trip and now I got to shovel this driveway. And she's like, I can't believe my husband got home from this work trip. And the first thing he says to me is, why is the driveway not shoveled? And um, actually they both were looking at each other because they were tired as kind of a hopeful rescue, right? And that didn't happen. So now they're both looking at each other like they're the persecutor. Mm. They did this to me, right? They're doing this to me. And so I actually draw this in session, drama triangle, and they were like, this is us. Holy (laughs) cow. And we go round and round in this, in this triangle. And we'll, you know, the husband says a lot of times out out of victim, I'll just say, okay, well, I got to just rescue. I got to just go say, okay, hey, I'm sorry. Anything you need, you know, and not address the pattern, but just kind of jump in. Mm. And then the wife has said, yeah, I'm, and I show up as a persecutor a lot and critique him and will kind of keep critiquing him. And so uh, this is, yeah, this plays out and it's helpful for them to think, okay, I'm in this. And now from a victim, how do I move to options and actually think about what I want my life to look like? Mm. I want a good relationship with my husband. I want a good relationship with my wife. How do I, how do I think about options and actually start asking more questions about, uh, about what they're experiencing in their emotions. And that actually starts to uncover, oh, okay. You know, she didn't shovel the driveway because she was so spent this Mm -hmm. week. And she had some stuff come up at work that were like, you know, that didn't allow her time to do that. Right. Um, And so, so I think that that, you know, moving from victim to creator is the first step to think, okay, what options do I have? And actually what, what type of curiosity could I bring to this? Describe for our listeners a little bit uh, more, Matt, the creator. Yeah. Because the creator is the way out of this, right? Yeah. Out of the victim, right? Out of the victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of it's, you know, People stay in victimhood because they don't want to touch their emotions and they don't want to change. And Mm -hmm. so they actually, because change actually, there's a lot of anxiety and risk with personal change. So it's actually easier to think about, um, well, I just, this happened to me and I'm blaming somebody and I'm looking for somebody to help me out. So it is actually accepting your own vulnerability and getting in touch with what's going on with you, identifying your own emotions. Um, And then realizing you have power and options. You can problem solve. You can get curious. You know, the key to moving out of victimhood is actually self-awareness. 
what's going on with me? What do I really need right now that I'm not asking for? Um, and then what the people that I'm in the drama with, how am I aware of what they need? How am I listening? How am I getting curious? So it's, it's again, this gap between what's happened to us and our response to say, I have, I have some space there to get curious and to problem solve and maybe ask a powerful question. I, I love this. I tell couples this. Um, it's just a true curiosity question. Just saying, I'm really curious, you know, about your week. Tell me, going back to this example of the couple, you know, tell me about the highs and lows of your week and tell me about what you've been feeling lately, right? And yeah. I think of, you know, the husband in reflection said, man, if I really knew what my wife was feeling and experienced, I would have had more grace for her. And we act, and I, I would have actually um, invited her in to be a creator as well because then she starts to have awareness and sharing what's been going on with her. I love that, Matt. I love that because uh, so a key key way out of this dynamic, uh, the triangle, is curious questions. Yeah. And the irony is in a lot of relationships, we don't ask curious questions. Mm. Either A, we're telling ourselves a story yes. that's kind of like uh, from the book Difficult Conversations, mm-hmm. telling ourselves a story, meaning that's what the husband did. Yep. Uh, he drives up, he sees the driveway, and his story was, wow, was she lazy this week? Exactly. That's exactly. a story versus moving in, asking curious questions. And, and the other thing you got to be careful of with questions, sometimes our questions can actually be statements. Yes, because <laughs> you're asserting your own space or role. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, can we think of, like, What's a question that he could have asked that was actually a statement? Yeah, he could. I mean, I, I think he could have asked something like, um, uh, something around like enforcing the lazy narrative of like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, like it looks like you had a lot of fun this week. Did you have a lot of fun this week? You know, or something like that. Like driveway wasn't done. It looks, you know, tell me all the fun you had. Exactly. Like I'd love to listen. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. But I, I want to, I just, I want our listeners to remember that, you know, with all of our episodes, we want to pick one or two things that we want them to really integrate in their relationship. And I think we came upon uh, another one here. And that is, Make sure you're asking good questions and that they're curious. Let's segue real quick. I want to come back to this. Yeah. I want to, I want to come back to the marriage thing, but um, this ties very much to you see this dynamic in Scripture. Yeah. And you big time see this dynamic in Jesus. Yes. So, like, share with our listeners, how, how, how does that work? Yeah. So... So one thing I, you know, when I was looking through scripture and also just researching about the drama triangle, I was like, oh man, the thing when I read scripture, I'm actually reading um, our uh, our church right now, Thorn Apple Covenants, say, is challenging us to read as a congregation, John, a thousand times this month. Mm. And so I'm reading it with our girls um, at bedtime. Wait a minute. Read 
read the gospel of John? Yeah, a thousand times. As a congregation, not a thousand okay. times just okay. for me. I okay. Mean, that okay. would be a, a full-time <laughs> plus like, job. Yeah, exactly. How are you uh, doing that? <laughs> you're really doing Joshua yes, 1 and 8 at yes. that point. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm reading it with, with our my two older girls, Lucy and Kobe, and I just am constantly reminded how Jesus shows up as as a creator and as curious. There's so, and it, it drives people nuts sometimes because the Pharisees go to him and sometimes, so many times it's a booby trap. It's like, we're asking Jesus a question and either answer that he could say is going to get him in trouble and prove a point. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so Jesus is recorded as uh, being asked 183 questions in the gospels and he only directly answers three of them. Wow. And he asks 307 questions in the gospels. Like he's just curious. Right. Uh, um, and I, I just, I love that. I love like Jesus thinking about what's the third way, what's the kingdom of God way where it seems like there's only two ways and Jesus as a creator, which I think, again, this connects back to the relationship that Jesus has with the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? Mm. As like, they are all creators together. And um, Jesus shows up and says, you, you're asking me questions or there's a way you think I'm going to respond to show that either I'm a victim, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a rescuer I'm, or I'm just a persecutor, really, even at times. And mm. Jesus says, no, I'm a, I'm a creator and I'm, and I'm focused on people. Mm. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to live into your drama. So yeah, it's, it's, it goes back to this where there's actually, there's actually times where it'd be easy for Jesus to be like, I'm a victim. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he continues to be faithful and say, I'm going to be curious. I'm going to actually show emotion and be aware of my emotion too. Like, um, I think part of Jesus's journey is also his, his self-awareness. I'm going to take time away, mm. right? I'm going to, I'm going to engage the crowd this way. Um, I know who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to farmers or fishermen, I'm using imagery and examples that are going to connect to them. It's very interesting too, when you think about uh, the victim, the persecutor and the rescuer, uh, that'd be kind of a cool exercise to go through when you're reading John mm-hmm. and looking for when are people, a big obvious one is uh, some of the disciples want him to be the persecutor. Yes. Right? Yes. And then there are other times where <clears throat> people want him to be the rescuer. Yes. And I love that. I love that one time where he heals the blind man. And, uh, but before he heals him, he asks him, do you want to see? Mm-hmm. You know, and so he was basically pushing him like, I'm not your rescuer. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. It'd be kind of a cool exercise to look at that. Yeah. 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 I, and continuing to draw people back into community and continue like Jesus is the savior. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's doing it in a way people are not expecting. Right. I mean, there's like the palm branches we wave on Palm Sunday. Um, is like a, they were, it was like a battle cry. <laughs> it was like, Jesus is gonna come and use force and defeat this Roman empire. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm doing. Right. And that's not what I'm about. 
Um, it's a third way that actually um, I am going to conquer sin and show that the kingdom is here, but it's, it's in a different way than you expect. Yeah. And, and you know, as you, as you, as you draw that picture for us, Matt, I can literally see Jesus in his interaction with disciples and some of the moments that you're talking about Kelly and also what you're talking about, Matt, um, where they're seeing him as savior, as rescuer. And really what he's doing is he's preparing to coach them to become coaches <laughs> Yeah, all across society, disciples of men. Yes. And in that space now in training and encouraging them from, Hey, I'm not just the savior and rescuer of the world, I'm coaching you to also become coaches. Now they start to take on that seat in that yes. space. And that's also what we're called to do as people in, in, in congregations across the world is to help coach people, mm-hmm. right? Which is caring for them. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So that I, so, so this is, this is good, Samuel. This is, um, this sets me up for Spock. We spoke, we talked about the victim going to creator, mm-hmm. but really the rescuer, you're right, goes to a coach. Is It's the coach, the healthy part of the triangle now from rescuer to coach is someone that's caring. How can I help you? And actually, how can I meet you and ask, how could I do this with you, right? Um, I have a the skill of a coach that's different than a rescuer is you listen to where they're at so that you can empower them to where they want to be. That's have, the that's the difference. Do you have an example of yeah. that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I I would say this shows up in leadership a lot. You know, in in working with uh, in young life, where someone has a problem, and you could say, "Oh, let me take care of that." Oh, I'm gonna I'll make the calls. I'll do the things. You know, I'm you're feeling some pain. You're coming to me. And let me just handle this all for you, mm. right? Um, instead, as a coach, you say, "Okay, I hear I hear where your pain is. I hear what your your problem is. Let's talk through this. I actually think you could do this. Let me talk through this with you and talk about these steps and let's brainstorm how you could actually you could solve this problem, right?" And so I think it shows up a lot in leadership. There's some people that are naturally more doers that are like, well, I, I just want to help the mm-hmm. person I'm leading. And, um, you know, it, it, it could show up in youth, like a youth group setting too, where there's a volunteer that's given their first talk to kids and they're really nervous. And they're like a week out, they said, I can't do this. And the youth pastor who's paid is like, well, I'm paid for this. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. Mm-hmm. Instead, he said, you know what? I think you can do it. Let's, let's walk through what it looks like to do it and let's practice together. And I'm going to help set you up for success. So in that space, um, I'm hearing some level of skills attached to those. Mm-hmm. What's the main skill in that area as being going from rescuer to coach? Yeah, I think some, well, it, the main skill is uh, to decrease your pride. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Re- rescuers have a high level of pride mm-hmm. that they think what gives them worth is saying, I'm going to save the day. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's Superman. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come in. I'm going to do this. Right. And it's actually saying, you know what? I believe the skill is decreasing your pride and saying, I've actually am going to believe in this person mm-hmm. and help them uh, by going with and listening to really what they need instead of with pride, assuming I know what they need, mm-hmm. 
and then just kind of doing it for them. Mm. Mm. So, awesome. So let's uh, let's hit the last one. Uh, yeah. What's it look like to go from persecutor to challenger? Yeah. So the the persecutor, um, it it's it's a move. Again, this is a this is all of these have to do with pride in some way and control, releasing some pride and control. The persecutor moving to challenger is still to be assertive with questions and assertive um, in thinking about, okay, how, what's going on with me? Again, all this is self-awareness. What's going on with me? And how can I still encourage people towards growth, but not uh, say something that's going to hurt them, right? That actually the challenger challenges them and they can accept it. So that's the main difference. Persecutor lashes out, says something, especially in couples, you'll, you'll feel yourself as a persecutor and you'll say, I just want to, I want to hurt them because it's all their fault, right? A challenger will say, Ooh, I'm, I'm noticing some anger and emotion. How can I not go to blame criticism, stonewalling, Mm -hmm. but how can I actually share what I'm feeling? And so we go back to this example, this couple in the the driveway, you know, the, 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 the uh, spouse, the wife could say something like, Hey, um, I felt when you asked me that question about whether I've, why I didn't do the driveway, shovel the driveway, um, I'm, I'm actually feeling some anger right now. And my, I want to let you know that there's some good reasons why I didn't step into this. Um, and I want to, well, I kind of want to challenge you to think about what's been going on in my week. And I want to share more of that actually right now. And then let's figure out a way that this driveway is going to get shoveled. Right. But it's like, it, she's thinking about her needs and instead of stonewalling and just kind of in fight or flight, cause she's elevated emotionally going away, she could say, you know what? I heard that comment, that actually comment kind of hurt me. Explain to listeners, yeah. uh, Matt, what stonewalling is. Stonewalling is, it's one of the four horsemen. It's uh, the four horsemen of bad conflict is, Criticism, blame, contempt, and stonewalling. And stonewalling may be the worst because you, when you feel attacked, you mm. actually say nothing. Acting like, what's the problem? There is no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you just, you know, I've, I've had couples who um, say, yeah, we'll have conflict and my spouse won't talk to me for three days. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a good picture of stonewalling. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, like, ooh, when I hear that, Actually, I'm like, wow, the, the, the alarm bells are going off in my head. Like that's a, that actually can be more serious than criticism, blame or contempt because there is no communication happening. So actually stories are being made up. Like Kelly was saying, there's stories made up. And so, um, on both sides, cause someone that's stonewalling is just creating that persecutor in their head that they're mm-hmm. like, this person man, this spat my spouse, they're just out to get me. They have bad motives. Mm. They did that on purpose. And then the other spouse who's not stonewalling, but trying to engage is saying, what are they thinking? They must think 
I'm the worst, but I'm not, you know? And um, so communication is totally diminished. And so the, the challenger still finds their voice. They don't look to hurt. They look to find their voice and assertiveness mm-hmm. to ask for what they need and to move something forward. Wow. So, and, and I want you to, to, to correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, um, as a listener, you know, I, I wrote down just some steps in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm going to also ask you this, but like said, is this right? Am I hearing this right? So part of this drama triangle process, when someone's sitting across the seat from you and they're like, I'm trying to identify these steps and trying to see what I'm doing. First, I want to start to, as I'm listening, identify the seat that I might be playing yes. in that space. Yep. Identifying that seat. And then from identifying it is some self-reflection that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And that self-reflection, I'm, I'm evaluating myself. I'm becoming self-aware um, of that space. I'm, and I'm going to begin to drop the pride by inviting feedback yes. in that area. And then asking curious questions and, and beginning to, what's the need here mm-hmm. in that space? Those are some of the steps in this process is what I'm hearing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Having some, each seat has some assertiveness, right? Like Mm -hmm. drama triangle, a lot of times can be very passive to maintain control. If you're a victim and everyone's doing it to you, you actually are keeping your control because you're saying I'm right. Right. But having some assertiveness to say, well, I should ask these questions. I should engage. I should create. Um, And then, like you said, having compassion, like, Mm -hmm okay, this person said this to me, um, but I need to explore more what that really meant and what they're going through. So having some compassion, some empathy, and also, again, tuning into your own emotions and being able to vocalize those and saying, this is how it made me feel. Was that your intent, Mm. right? Uh, Instead of like, you know, Kelly saying, making the stories up that start to put people in the seats. It's a... The drama triangle likes to cast the characters. <laughs> so you you feel, usually it starts with the victim and then you start to pick out, okay, who's the persecutor? Who's the rescuer? And then you invite people into those. And sometimes drama feels so crazy because someone that is unhealthy and living the drama triangle will bring people into it with them. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, how did we get here? Mm. A lot of family systems, they're like, we were having this conversation about Christmas and who's going to do what and where we're going to eat. And and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm feeling like a victim. How did we get here? I'm feeling like everybody wants me to bail them out. And how do we get here? Right. Oh, Matt, Kelly. um, I feel like in, in the time that we've been here, I've learned so much um, just about the space. And and even as a therapist, I think it's incredible to, you know, this is like a CEU opportunity for me to learn, you know, a little bit more about another frame of thinking, uh, especially when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, from together, we want to say thank you. Yeah, guys. Thank you, Matt. Oh, the trifecta. The trifecta. You know? Well, good to be here. <laughs> Complete the trifecta with you two. Uh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for letting me share and always great to hang out with y'all. Awesome. Well, listeners, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've uh, been educated on what may be happening in the role of your relationships with those around you um, and those nearest and closest to you. Um, there's several ways from here to reach out to our podcast together. 
And to learn more about the Drama Triangle, we'd love for you to email us at care.adabible.org. And for myself and for Kelly uh, and for Matt, um, we are glad that you've taken a chance to listen to Together. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your listening platform. Leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries, or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.